The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. Good morning. Ooh, that's loud. (laughs) It feels like I have the voice of authority. Hey, if you could find your seats, we will, we will uh, get into the Word of God together. As you guys are sitting down, <clears throat> I'm going to take a moment to pray for us at just the beginning of the year. I really look forward to that turning of the clock, that change of years, um, because by the time we get to the end of the year, I'm really ready for a fresh start, <laughs> and so I uh, just want to pray first. I know it, it means different things for different people, but for, for my family, we, we do really intentionally try to think through <clears throat> what has been a part of our lives this year, and what do we want to make up our lives to be a part of our lives in the years to come, so... Let me just pray that God will bless this upcoming year, that he will purify our hearts and prepare us for it. Father, we look back on the year. We only remember parts of it. We have inaccurate memories of our years. In many ways, it's more feelings than knowing Maybe for some of us, it's even hard to look past yesterday or the day before or the week before. It's hard for us to reach all the way back to January 1, 2022. Some of us don't want to because of the pain that was in our year. And some of us, we know we're just forgetful. We haven't appropriately given thanks for the year of life we've just had So God, we do give you thanks that we were alive in 2022 for the ways we enjoyed your blessings, enjoyed breathing, enjoyed family. God, we lament so many things. There was loss of loved ones. There was loss of dreams plans that were broken, relationships that were hurt. And so now we look forward to this upcoming year. Like Jabez, we pray that you will bless it, you will prosper us. We pray that not not just so we can get what we want, but we will get what we need, that our souls will enjoy you. God, that we'll walk into this year with you, that you'll show us what's most valuable. Um, As we look at the scripture today and upcoming weeks, we will understand and really believe in what's eternal, and this year will be marked by an investment in what's eternal. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We were going to preach on 
the Apostles' Creed again, which we did three years ago, and decided to change that into a sermon series called Life Savings. And in some ways, this is, this is selfish, but not selfish because it's something I do well, but it's selfish because it's something that me and my family deeply need. And when you open the scripture, you see that this is something that is really, really important to Jesus. And that is the way we invest our time, resources, and that word that is so uncomfortable to talk about, our money. And so this is the intro to our sermon series. The way you spend your money matters to Jesus. Jesus isn't after your money. He is after your heart and knows that the quickest way to find a person's heart is to follow the way they spend their time and resources. In this sermon series, we will learn to invest in what matters most. Some of you want to leave right now. I just, I get it. I told Hannah right before leaving to come to church today, I said, man, this is maybe the most convicting sermon I've ever preached. And I wasn't thinking about you. I was thinking about myself. And her immediate response was, are you going to tell them about your shoe addiction? (laughs) So I have a shoe addiction. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> yeah. You do kind of seem to have a different pair for every outfit. Yeah. Okay, guys, we can move on from that. <clears throat> what really is a good investment? I was not searching Google this week about the sermon series, but you know, sometimes you click on the search link and it just immediately populates with the top searches. And the top searches, two of them were Dow Jones stock markets. That was the search. And the other one was Zodiac Signs 2023 predictions. And What that indicates is we want to know how to invest in the upcoming year. People are literally searching those things because they want predictions of what's a safe bet, what's a safe investment. How should I think through this upcoming year and invest my time and invest my resources? And those were two of the primary ways people think about doing it. Now, Hannah and I, my family, is among those who are trying to think about how to invest our lives well. And getting married and having kids made me think through it in a whole new way. Right after we got married, I, I took out a life insurance policy. Right? I'm thinking, man, I want my family to be cared for if something happens to me. Um, a little over a year ago, Hannah and I sat down with a financial advisor, a financial planner, and we're just thinking through, you know, this is how much we make if we look ahead and we want to plan on retirement. This is how much we have to save. And, and you know, it's kind of interesting. They sit, they sit down with you, and probably many of you have done this, and they say, well, there's, there's kind of these buckets you can invest in, and you've got your kind of your safe investments, you've got your, your moderate ones, and then you've got the really aggressive ones, and 
And like, what do you, you know, where do you see yourself? And Hannah was like, well, I see myself as the kind of person that puts their money in a mattress. And so he's like, well, you're probably on the safe end. And, and then they kind of walk you through it, and it all gets real <clears throat> where he's pointing at graphs and everything, and then there's one graph that there's lines going up, and then one line just stops, and he's like, and this is where Daniel dies. And, you know, that, that is the way they just seriously talk with you through what your life is going to look like in your investments, and when... No matter what investments you've made or not made, your life ends. And that is when we find out, really, according to Scripture, what our investments were worth. If our investments, if our time and resources mattered, not just in a momentary scope, but in an eternal sense. And seeing my line cut off significantly before Hannah's... (laughs) You know, it really made me think. And that was actually the same year my father passed away. And so I was thinking, man, if my hope is, is just in the stock market, if it's just in my physical health, if it's just in my perfect plan for how this could be, <clears throat> that's not a safe investment. If, if all my hope is there. So if that is not where all our hope should be, that is not the best investment. Those can be good investments. It's healthy to plan. But ultimately, if I'm not just thinking about tomorrow and 10 years from now, but literally 10,000 years from now, how should I invest my life? How should I invest my time and my resources? So, the big question, what is the best investment? And the big idea that we're going to learn from Scripture is that heaven really is the only investment that makes sense after death. Only then will you realize just how much your investment mattered. Only then will you really understand. There's ways we can appreciate it now. Something that helped me appreciate this, and I actually bought 15 of these books. It's called The Treasure Principle. I was really helped by it. Read it a couple times. You can have it if you want. Um, An illustration he used in that book that was very helpful to me, he says, you know, imagine if tomorrow, someone says, tomorrow... I'll give you $1,000. You can just have it. You can just, I'll write you a check, give it to you. Or imagine a year from now, I'll give you $10 million. You know, which would you take? Most of us would consider that a safe bet to say, well, I'm going to wait a year and get the $10 million. So what if, what if then, and this, this really starts testing our actual trust, our actual belief that there is a heaven, that there is a life to come, and say, well, what if you were to give up the $1,000 and the $10 million so you can have the eternal reward of spending eternity with Jesus? For some of us, all of a sudden it gets real because we're like, well, I'll probably still take the $10 million in a year. Jesus won't mind. (laughs) Right? And it starts testing, like, is it real? Are we really thinking that that is what is best? And I've, man, I've thought over that illustration over and over and over again because that $10 million is real tempting. When we don't see the, the reality, the weight, the gravity, the, the absolute tangible presence of heaven. So, I hope that this sermon series, starting with today, which is our eternal investment, will really help start shaping our hearts 
to put our lives, our resources, our money, everything we have really in what matters most. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be today and for a couple weeks in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, and we'll read all the way through to 24. It says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And today we're really just going to focus on those first two verses, so I'm going to read them again. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So since the the contrast here is, is heaven and earth, what we're going to do is, first I just want to talk a little bit about heaven and then the contrast, the comparison and contrast that it brings us to here. The ministry of Jesus was all about the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus starts his public ministry, what does he go out saying? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he starts by saying repent before just saying, come on, join the kingdom of heaven because repent means you need to change the way you think so you will ever appreciate the kingdom of heaven. Repent. Man, unless something changes in your thinking, you will never get what's important to God. You'll be so consumed with the the plans you've already made and the investments you've already made that you will never get what's so valuable to God, so valuable to God that he would give his own son, he would send his own son here to earth. And because very few, almost no one repented, no one recognized God himself was among us. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus started building out this incredible vision of the kingdom. The kingdom ultimately being about A person, Jesus, God with us, and a place, heaven. A place where God's rule and reign was ultimate. Where it happens all the time. Where there'll be no more tears, no more mourning, no more sorrow. Because God is with us and his way is happening nonstop. We see a vision of this kingdom as he starts preaching his longest sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, which we can see as kind of a kingdom manifesto. And that's in Matthew 5. And he starts out with something that is totally upside down. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for those are the ones that get the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who know that spiritually they are poor. Not those who are going around like, look at me, I'm so spiritual. Like those people who think they're awesome, think they just got God, are missing out. But those who just realize that they are poor spiritually, they're the ones that are closest to the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, 
because of their spiritual state, and they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek. They're going to be the ones that inherit the earth. And Jesus starts defining in this kingdom manifesto sort of an upside-down kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. A kingdom that we will not see, we will not understand, unless we repent, literally change, the way we are thinking, living, loving, wanting, the desires of our heart, seeing those as corrupt so we can start appreciating God and his ways and entering his kingdom. So he tells us of this ways, and then in chapter 6, which is where we're at, he enters into this, like over and over again, he, he says, do not, because hypocrites do that, right? And over and over again, he, he says, don't do this because the hypocrites do this. Don't do this because the hypocrites do this. And Jesus is kind of like, like landing some pretty stiff punches here. Don't practice your righteousness before other people. So don't show off that you're so good. Because hypocrites do that. Don't pray in such a way publicly that will make people impressed with your, spiritual, with your spirituality. Don't do that. Hypocrites do that. Don't, he says, uh, where are we here? He says, don't uh, fast publicly. Don't go around, oh, I'm so hungry. You know I'm hungry? Just giving it all to Jesus. Don't do that because hypocrites do that. But then he goes on and he says, don't, what? Don't store up your treasures on earth. But he doesn't say anything about hypocrites here. And I find that so fascinating. It's the first time in, this, in chapter 6 where he says, don't do something. But he doesn't point at people and call them hypocrites. And I, and I think it's because it just kind of lands on us all. I think this is the ultimate thing that sort of unveils us all. We're unable in this, when we talk about money, to say, well, yeah, the other person. Oh, I know the guy who prays publicly. All of a sudden, he dives into money, which Jesus spent 15% of his words talking about, talking about it more than he talked about hell and heaven combined. He talks about money. And the reason for that is because it's the ultimate unveiling of all of our hearts. And that's what he says, and I'm, I'm going to try not to steal Ibrahim's sermon next week. But that's literally what we're getting into next week, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the ultimate unveiling of all of our hearts. And so what he does is he starts comparing earth and heaven, the places where we invest our money where we invest our time, where we invest our resources. And the two comparisons he, he draws here, the first is that earth can be stolen, but heaven is secure. Earth can be stolen, but heaven is secure. And we, we see this right away, right, where he says, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, we have this treasure... And the treasure being our knowing Jesus in jars of clay, our bodies, to show that this all-surpassing power from God is not from us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. It's kind of a theme throughout scripture that we have something infinitely precious stored in things that are able to break, able to be stolen, 
Where is your treasure hidden? That's what Jesus is asking us to ask ourselves here. This last year, if your treasure was hidden in your 401k, you might have seen your treasure get stolen a little bit. (laughs) It just went down. Right? It's amazing how with our plans, whether our plans revolve or our attention or whatever our treasure be, orients around our body, our house, our bank account, it's amazing how absolutely tenuous those things are. We focus on the breakable jar of clay so much and not the actual treasure. I'm going to say that again. We focus on the breakable jar of clay so much and not the actual treasure. We focus on what can and will not last. Um, As I was thinking about focusing on the broken jar of clay rather than the actual treasure, um, I I thought of a story that I read of someone who asked John D. Rockefeller's accountant after he died how much money he had. And if you don't know, John D. Rockefeller was one of the most wealthy individuals to ever live. And um, they said, how much money did John D. Rockefeller leave behind? And the accountant said, all of it. All of it, right? But what, what do we focus on? The jar of clay. We focus on the thing that is breakable, the thing that will not last, that can be stolen, and that death ultimately, for some of us, will be the ultimate thievery. It will feel like that because of what we've invested in. Now, being a pastor, I've got to spend a good deal of time with people who are approaching death. Being human, I've got to spend a good deal of time with people approaching death. And you can see where investments are when someone's approaching death. To someone who is invested completely here on earth, death feels like the ultimate thief. And to someone who's invested in heaven, it feels like the ultimate reward. It's amazing. I'm not making this up. You've been there. If death feels like it will take everything that has been dear to us, we know where our investments have been made. If it fills our hearts with a sense of anxiety and panic because how we have spent our lives, we have not invested in heaven. And I don't say this as as, uh, someone who's like looking out. I, I look in and wonder if my life was asked of me tonight, how would I feel about it? The second thing we are asked to compare and contrast with earth and heaven is that earth is a place of decay and heaven is a place where things endure. In 2 Corinthians, we again read an amazing description of this. In chapter 4, 16 to 18, it says, We don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light And momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Earth decays, heaven endures. Now, I, and you know this from what uh, Hannah shared about me earlier, I can obsess 
about appearances. I can obsess about what is seen. Um, I really struggled writing this sermon series, and I really struggled with it until I made it personal. And what I mean by that is I think the harder a truth is for me, the more I make it abstract. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> right? And I kind of keep a distance, and I don't want to let you see that this actually is me I'm preaching to, right? But this sermon is quite literally for me. I can be so much about what is unseen. Social media is unhealthy for me because it knows me better than I know myself. Or, or better than I'm willing to admit to myself because it knows what I want. <laughs> right? If I am, and, and some of you won't relate with this, and I honestly, I'm so proud of you <laughs> if you don't relate with this. Never relate to this, right? If I'm on Instagram and I'm like scrolling through Instagram, it knows what I want to buy, not what I need. It literally will show me things that I'm just like, dang, I need that 15th coat. Now, moment of truth here. When I buy something, I lose interest in it almost immediately after I buy it. <laughs> okay? Can I get an amen? Okay. Other than you, like Nate Weigart, who like researches things for a year, right? Because then he actually makes a really quality investment. I'm not that. I really, I want to be that. And I believe I can be that. This last week, I spent significant time uh, looking at a watch. I didn't buy it, just to, just to, don't worry, that's not the end of the story. But I spent significant time looking at a watch. I have three really good watches. <laughs> and they all do exactly what you want a watch to do, which is keep time, right? I have a dress-up watch. I have an athletic watch, right? And yet I spent time like, man, but this one, it didn't tell time better. It didn't, like, would not make me faster on my runs, that's for sure. But why did I look at it? Because I thought that investment would mean something, would make me something would fill a void in me that I was not looking to where it actually could be filled. That watch, that jacket, whatever it is, it will wear out. Your body, no matter how much money you spend on it, will wear out. Nations, no matter how strong they are, they wear out. Planets and stars wear out. All of it, all of it wears out. All that is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So what do we do? Well, according to this, we don't lose heart. You've been focusing on the wrong thing. Focus on the right thing. My son, Elliot, is named after a missionary named Jim Elliot. And we named him Elliot because I didn't want to name him Jim. <laughs> and... Uh, he was, a hero. <laughs> he was a hero of mine growing up. If your name's Jim, it's, it's great. Jim's a great name. <laughs> so he was a hero of mine growing up, and, and he, he died very young. And <clears throat> if you don't know his story, you might have heard or recognized something he wrote in his journal. And that is this, this statement. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep 
to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Jim Elliott gave his life on the mission field. I believe he died at the age of 29. Giving what he couldn't keep because he believed he was investing in something that he could not lose. It was a worthwhile investment for him. And he uses the word fool there, and we don't hear the word fool very often. It is honestly the kind of the ultimate insult. It probably would be better to be called almost any word than fool, because fool strikes right at the heart of your investments. Are you wise with the way you spend your life? And the Bible uses the word fool often. Proverbs is full, full of stories of fools in small little verses. But there's a story of a fool in the book of Luke, chapter 12, a story that Jesus tells, and I think this gets the heart of ultimately what I'm talking about today. It's a story of a man who was a farmer, and he planted his field, and there was a bumper crop. There was more grain than he ever could have wished for, and there was so much grain, he decided, what I will do is I'm going to build bigger barns. So he built those bigger barns, and he stored all the grain, and he thought, I'm going to be set up for years to come as he invested in himself. And it says, that night, that night, God came to him and he said, you fool, this very night, your life will be required from you. You made the wrong investment. You were a fool. Now, I know that might strike you very tenderly in your heart, and it does in mine. Because what I've described to you that you've all laughed at, which they were funny things, described me as a fool. Literally. When I do those things, I'm being foolish. I'm being distracted. I am not looking at what is eternal. I'm focusing on what is temporary. So what is a wise investment? What is a heavenly investment? What is an eternal investment? That should be the question we want to ask, right? I don't want to be an idiot. I want to be wise. I want to spend my life on something that when death approaches, which it will for all of us, no matter how much money we throw at our lives, right? We will approach that, that when I arrive at that moment, expected or unexpected, I will look forward to what is before me. And I think the best way to just quickly see what a wise and eternal investment is to see the life of Jesus. Because he, every decision, made the right one. (laughs) With every investment, he made the right investment. And so you can't narrow in on a life of example quicker than just looking at the life of Jesus who came to, and I I thought about doing this, but we won't because I know we don't like public speaking for the most part, but I was, I was going to just ask, like, when you think of the life of Jesus, what do you think of? And I, I, I know what we'd hear. Man, I think of healing. Jesus healed people. We think of his word, and he came to seek and save the lost. He came to restore people's relationship with God. He came to heal the brokenhearted. That's the life of Jesus. And Jesus seemed very unconcerned about a lot of things that we seem very concerned with. And he literally told us that. He said, who by worrying can add a single hour to your life? 
And here we are so full of worry. What if we looked at the life of Jesus and the investments he made, and what would it look like if our lives this year and the years to come were about those investments? Because it wasn't about the $1,000 tomorrow or the $10 million next year, but it was about the attorney that lies before us. And we set ourselves to seeking and saving the lost, to restoring the brokenhearted, to restoring people's relationship with God and started making those investments. I guarantee you, I promise you, if you see that unseen, if you focus on that unseen, if you invest in that, not only will this life gain so much meaning, but your death will be ultimately a reward. It will not be something that feels like you're being stolen from. The ultimate truth that we've talked about here, about internal investments versus momentary investments, I believe tests the genuineness of our faith. It challenges our view of reality. Some of us have truly never understood the gospel of Jesus because it has never touched us in this place. It has never repulsed us. It has never alarmed our sensibilities. It has never challenged our norms, struck down our idols, rearranged our priorities, uncovered our secrets, and instilled in us such fear of God that it gives us the courage to say yes to what he says is ultimately good and true. That's the most convicting thing I've probably ever said in a sermon. <laughs> it's true. Some of us have never truly understood the gospel of Jesus because it has never repulsed us. It has never been something that alarmed our sensibilities, challenged our norms, struck down our idols, rearranged our priorities, uncovered our secrets, and instilled in us such fear of God that it gave us the courage to say yes to what he says is true and meaningful. And that fear of God, literally that fear of God, the awe of him, the sight of his majesty and who he is, that alone will be what is enough for us to lay aside our trivial meanings that we've lived for. Amen? So how do we respond to this? <laughs> Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That is how we respond to this. That is how I respond to this. Repent. I need to change the way I've been thinking so I can see God for who he is. I can pursue God for who he is. I can join him in his mission that he has called us to on earth. We can join the mission of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Heaven is the only investment that makes sense after death. Only then will we really realize how much our investment here and now matters. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will give us just fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, this beginning of wisdom. 
that will instill in us such a, a sight of you and the way things really are. God, the small things that we get so infatuated with and focused on, those aren't real. Oftentimes they're just a jolt of adrenaline or something that's just quickly passing. God, I pray that you'll help us just treasure Jesus and make decisions that honor reality, that honor the king and the kingdom. I pray that we'll be intentional with the way we spend our time the way we spend our money, the way we, we just we spend our lives. I do pray that today, um, January 1st, which is, in some ways it can be an, an arbitrary day, but it can be, as you say in Hebrews, today can be the day of salvation. Today can be a day where we repent and we change. And I pray that for us. You would create in us pure hearts, passions for you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, we are going to worship in a couple ways. Um, if you need prayer, Ibrahim is over on the side. He would love to pray for you. Um, we're going to sing together and just worship with all our hearts to God. And we also will take communion, remembering on the night Jesus was betrayed, the night his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you put faith in him, we invite you to take communion with us as an act of worship.